Hey there, and welcome to episode 9 of the Beneath the Sats podcast, produced by Wicked Local North Boston. I'm your host, Rob McKittrick. Joining me today is Sirius XM radio producer, Christopher Tyler. He'll be joining me in a little bit, but before we talk to him about the NCAA championship last night and the Celtics playoff preview, I first wanted to give you my thoughts about the game on Monday night. UVA played against Texas Tech, and everyone knew it would be the battle of the defenses in in the beginning of the game, it was, but after the first 10 minutes, the game really started to pick up, and by the second half, both our offenses started to come alive, and it became really a must-watch basketball game. At the end of the day, it was one of the best games of all time in terms of national championships, and you know the game went into overtime. UVA survives yet again to another national championship, and when you look at the road for UVA... It was really unbelievable how they were able to win. You know, barely escaping by on certain calls, big time shots from Kyle Guy, DeAndre Hunter. And when you look at this tournament, you know, people can talk about the refs, people can talk about the the calls and the replays and the overturns. People can talk about how UVA may have gotten lucky. You know, UVA escaped. Gardner Webb, even you know, if you had a big second half against Gardner Webb, but they were down to Gardner Webb in Game One. They beat Oklahoma handily. They escaped Oregon. They escaped Purdue. Escaped Auburn, and then they escaped Texas Tech. A lot of these games, they were down at the end of the game, and they were able to come through. And yes, you can talk about all of those things, but if you're talking about their success because they were lucky, or because of the refs. You're missing the bigger story here. This is truly one of the great comeback stories of all times for a team. In my lifetime, when I think of comeback stories, obviously being from Boston, the first thought that comes to my mind was the 2004 Red Sox comeback against the Yankees, right? Everyone knows that one. The Red Sox hadn't won in 86 years. They had a heartbreaking loss 2003, the Aaron Boone game. They were down 3 nothing to the Yankees and looked just terrible in the ALCS. And then they were able to come back with clutch heroics from David Ortiz and then won the World Series for the first time in 86 years. And while that is an unbelievable comeback story, to me, th- this one is even greater. And yes, the significance of the Red Sox cha- championship to the city of Boston was huge. So I'm not talking about how the moment and what it meant to the city. But from a true mental toughness aspect to showing resiliency to showing character and heart the Red Sox it was unbelievable right they were down three games to nothing and baseball is a long season but again you know it's a series right it was it was a moment in time when yes they had to come back from the Aaron Boone home run but again you know it was it, it, it wasn't like the loss UVA had the UVA loss to UMBC last season against 16 seed it was probably one of the most embarrassing losses and worst losses for a team. And it never happened before. You, know, Although UMBC was very talented and athletic, so therefore you could say why it would be a tough matchup for them. And it really, UVA got the wrong team at the wrong time. DeAndre Hunter was hurt, their best player. But either way, it was very embarrassing for this team that dominated the competition all year long, was the number one overall seed in the tournament, then lost to a 16 seed, which had never been done. People trashed them on social media. They, it was an embarrassment for the program. People called for Tony Bennett, who's one of the best coaches in all basketball, class act, for him to be fired. Right? The players, 
The players could barely show their face. Their heads were down. And the incredible thing about this is that it would have been very easy for UVA to look at the season they did last year and then have a setback. But they were just as consistent in the regular season as, as they were last season. And over the last two years, they're 66-6. and six. They're 33-3 and three in the ACC. The last two seasons... You take out the sixteen, the one to sixteen loss last year, which again you can't really take it out. But you look at their body of work, especially after the title. This is this is an unbelievable two years of success for a program that doesn't generally acquire top talent. DeAndre Hunter is a very good player. He's gonna be a very good NBA player. Take out DeAndre Hunter. How many NBA players do they have in that team? Jerome and, and Kyle Guy are very good players, but in terms of top talent, they're not getting these top recruits. So what Tony Bennett has done in the last two seasons has been spectacular. And not only is this the great one of the great comeback stories, if not the great comeback stories of all time, just in terms of pure resiliency and showing character and bouncing back after a huge loss for college kids. These are not professionals, remember. These are college kids. But the ability to be so consistent throughout the whole year and stay with what you do, and stay with the style of play, and be confident that the process will work. It's just truly spectacular. I'm so happy for those guys. Anyone who is talking about the refs or that they got lucky, although that may be true in certain instances, UVA made made big shot after big shot, and you make your own luck. And every team gets lucky. And Duke got lucky, and then Duke couldn't finish the job. So the fact that UVA was able to win after losing to a 16 seed last season and the body of work they've showed over the two years, it's an unbelievable thing. If you can't root for that, I know there are a lot of gamblers and Texas Tech fans who are unhappy and other teams that lost to UVA who are unhappy, but UVA deserved this. They were the best team in the regular season last year. They're one of the best teams, if not the best team in the regular season this year, and they proved it in the tournament. And It's very validating, I'm sure, for Tony Bennett that his program works because it doesn't matter how well you perform into the regular season. If they didn't win a championship, no matter if that's fair or not, after they lost to the 16th seed, people would have said, see, they can't play like that. And I was one of those people. I was absolutely wrong. The entire nation was wrong about this team. But credit to UVA. It really shows the power of sports. And I know I don't want to sound cliche here, but the great thing about sports is that and Scott Van Pelt mentioned this in a great monologue the other day after the Tom Izzo, quote, scandal of when he was hard on one of his players, is that sports, it will knock you down. It's like life. It, you, you're going to fail, and you're going to fail again unless you work harder and you perform better. Sometimes you get lucky, like in life, but at the end of the day, you have to figure it out. No one's going to hand it to you. And the fact that UVA was able to bounce back, show the resiliency they did to win. Just tip your cap to UVA. If you're not appreciating what they're doing, I don't know what to tell you. It's a great story. Now let me bring in Sirius XM radio producer for Mad Dog Sports Radio, Christopher Tyler. Chris, how's it going? Good, mate. How you doing? Doing well. So first, my first question is, did you make a bracket for the NCAA tournament? <laughs> I made three brackets, and I probably could have made 100, and I still wouldn't have succeeded. This year kind of got me. When it got to the Elite Eight, I was still fine. I had all my Elite Eight teams in it because it was relatively chalk at that stage of the tournament. And then once Tennessee lost, then pretty much all of my teams lost. It was two weekends ago, I think it was, when we had 
Duke lost, Tennessee lost, North Carolina lost, and by that stage I was well and truly out of it. But it was still a great tournament. Yeah, it was. It was good. I, you know, <laughs> I made two brackets myself, and after the first couple of weekends, I was actually feeling pretty good. And then, you know, right the moment you start getting comfortable and you think you're going to have a good year, then UNC loses, Gonzaga loses, and in the next the next moment, you're out. Yep, it happens bloody quickly, but that's that's the joy of it. Yeah, and I think with this tournament, when when you look at it as a whole. There weren't really a ton of upsets and a ton of great games in the first couple of weeks, but then once it got to the Sweet 16, it really got going. And I wanted to talk specifically with you about the national championship game with Virginia against Texas Tech. Virginia came away with the win, overtime win. Again, it came down to the wire. UVA had the lead, and then they lost the lead and were down late. Big shot by DeAndre Hunter for three in the corner to put it into overtime, and UVA ultimately got the victory with a big comeback story of the 16 seed to one loss last year in, in the win this year. What did you make of the game specifically in, in Virginia's run overall? Well, I was looking forward to this game. I think a lot of people going into the game were a bit skeptical. They didn't want to see a defensive showdown because as anyone who was following these teams throughout the tournament knew, they were very defensive orientated teams. And I think the line in Vegas for the start of the game uh, might have been 118 or something like that. I think it opened at 120 and eventually dropped to 118 at game time. So even Vegas was expecting a low-scoring game. The first five or ten minutes of the game was even lower scoring than I think of any of us thought. It was a relatively boring game. No one was really hitting shots, not because they were just missing shots for the sake of it, but because the defense was fantastic. But it was just a very low-scoring game. Texas Tech didn't hit a field goal early, and then once they kind of got into their rhythm a little bit, after that 10-minute mark in that first half, then we started seeing shots fall, and both teams kind of got hot and went on their own runs throughout the game. And I thought it was a fantastic second half of the first half and then second half of the game. And in the end, I think it kind of, obviously, again, like we've seen so many times throughout the last couple of weeks, came down to the last you know, moment of the game. In overtime, we had that moment where Moretti, I didn't think he touched the ball initially. They went to the replay monitor, obviously. Took them five minutes to, to <laughs> overturn it, which to me is ridiculous. If you're going to have a replay system, that should be used strictly for the really, really bad calls. If it's an obvious call that you can tell straight away, go to the replay, confirm it, and then overturn it. But if you're going to take five minutes to overturn something that's insignificant, it shouldn't be a part of the game. You should have 30 seconds. As a referee, if you're going to the replay monitor, you have 30 seconds to see whether you, you have enough evidence to overturn it. If you can't make a decision at 30 seconds, it's not worth overturning. Because to me, there are probably so many unseen wrong mistakes that are going to impact the game more so than that little fingertip touch from already at the end there. And then in the end, that's what essentially won Virginia the game. Now, obviously, they could have still won had Texas Tech still managed to have the ball, um, you know, if that decision wasn't overturned. But it was going to be a lot closer because once Virginia got the ball back, they made a bit of a run and the game was over and Texas Tech never really looked like threatening again. So it went from being a really interesting game to a game where I kind of felt a little bit empty because 
of that blown call. And we've seen many blown calls, or we've seen many questionable calls, I should say, throughout the tournament. Obviously, Virginia has been on the right side of a few of them. And I never really felt that empty after the game. I just thought, yep, that's part of the game. The foul calls actually get them into the championship game, I thought, was a foul. But this one was kind of the worst one for me just because it took five minutes to, you know, change a decision that I didn't think was egregious enough to change. Yeah, the the replay in general, I think you make a very good point that, and I, and I was watching with my friends and we were talking about it, when you can't even make the call on instant slow-mo, then at that point, are you really going to, is, is, is replay really going to make the, the change here? Because the end, at the end of the day, you know, as you said, replay is supposed to overturn bad calls. And if you can't make a decision in a couple of minutes at least, then clearly it's, it's not an egregious enough a call to make the overturn. I think overall, though, when you look at Virginia's run, and I talked about it a little bit in the beginning of the podcast, absolutely they got lucky. Absolutely they got some calls their way. But just when you look at the comeback season they had from a year ago after losing to the 16th seed, it's really a remarkable story. And just the character and resilience from these guys was very, very impressive to me. And just the class from Tony betting the players all season long after the defeat, and then coming back and winning it all, to me, was really a spectacular story, one of that we have really not seen in, in a lot of sports. I mean, the 16-1, it never happened, that upset. And the next year, the fact that they won it all, to me, was unbelievable. Oh, absolutely. Me too. And it just goes down to, firstly, coaching, the way that Tony Bennett has been able to lead this team through adversity with that pack line defense and get the players to really buy into his system has been spectacular. And it also comes down to experience. You have a look at their starting five. It's all guys who have kind of had a lot of experience before and had played in the tournament before. Granted, they lost last year, as you mentioned. But they've still had a lot of experience in big games. And I think that's kind of invaluable when you're getting to the tournament like this. Now, obviously, they did have a lot, a lot of luck. But in order to win championships in any sport, you need to have a combination of skill and luck. And that's exactly what... Virginia has, but I loved watching them play throughout the year. They've got probably two or three blokes who will play in the NBA and at a high level in the NBA. Hunter's going to be probably a top 10 pick. Remember, he was missing last year when they lost to UMBC in that game. Hunter was not playing. He's probably going to you know, go on and, and do some good things in the NBA. Ty Jerome's probably going to be a first-round pick. Guy and Diakite are kind of on the on the periphery there. So there's going to be a lot of, you know, NBA talent in that team. Uh, I still think there's a lot of NBA talent in Texas Tech as well, but they just they weren't quite there. But they were one of my favorite teams to watch throughout the tournament as well. And I will say, before I move on as well, congratulations to Cody Statman, <laughs> who is the Australian on Virginia. It is the first Australian. Cody Statman is the first Australian to ever win an NCAA title, which is awesome wow. to see. He didn't log any minutes. I think he might have logged a total of one or two minutes throughout the entire tournament. But, hey, we're taking it. Yeah, you know, you lost it with Duke. I forget his name. Is it, is it Jack? Jack White. Jack White, yeah. Jack White, who you interviewed, did a great piece on. I feel like it was for ESPN or ESPN Australia. Yeah, and, you know, too bad Duke went out because there, there was your Australian there. But, all right, congrats. Love the shout-out. Let, let's transition, Chris, briefly to the Celtics. They had the la- last game of the season last night, got the win. They, they've won, I believe, six of their last eight after losing four in a row. It seems like people are starting to, 
I don't think buy-in is the right word in terms of the, from Boston fans because I really don't think fans have even watched that closely in the last couple of weeks, especially with the March Madness tournament going on and just the frustrations with the team. People want to wait for the playoffs. However, it does seem like there's a little more positivity or, or something a little bit different than I've noticed from at least the Boston media members on Twitter, on TV and radio. Are you any more optimistic about this group going into the playoffs given their better play of, of late? I'm optimistic in the sense that I'm confident that they'll win the first round matchup against Pacers, but I don't really think they're going to go much further than that. They haven't shown the consistency to really get the job done in seven games. If you're having a look and you're saying, all right, we're going to play, for instance, the Bucks in the second round. If we were to beat the Pacers and the Bucks beat whoever they're playing, I don't even know who, who's in eighth at the moment. But if we both make it through to the second round, I don't think that we have shown the consistency needed to get the job done over a best of seven series. I think that it's that simple. We dropped some easy games. Now, hopefully the fact that we'll have time in between each game to really prepare, we can really scout the Bucks really hard. We played them twice. We played them three times this year, one once, and that was in November. So they've had our numbers since then. But I think when we're going against someone of Giannis's caliber, and in my opinion, he's the MVP this year. I have him over over Harden. He's going to be damn hard to stop. Remember last year we played them in the first round when they were nowhere near as good as they are now, and we were arguably in better form than we were at least this year. We're better, we've got more talent this year, but we were in better form last year. It still took seven games to get past them. Giannis is better. They've surrounded him with better shooters. So if we were to make it to that series, and I don't want to be flipping and say, yeah, we're definitely going to beat Pacers. I'm, I'm just relatively confident that without Oladipo, we can get the job done there. I think that we have the talent just to get past them. But looking ahead, I think that Giannis and that team as a whole are going to be very, very hard to stop. They're going to get a lot of their players back from injury. They've obviously suffered some minor injuries over the past week or two. They're going to get a lot of their players back. Brogdon should be back for that series. And I just can't see us getting over the hump there, which would be a disappointment. It'll mean that not only have we failed to exceed our win total from the previous season, the first time that that's happened under Brad Stevens' tenure as the Celtic head coach, but it'll also mean that we haven't advanced further than the previous season in the playoffs. So we got to, I think, the first year we got swept in the opening round, and then the second year we won a couple of games in the opening round, and it's just progressed as we went on. Last year we obviously made the Eastern Finals. I don't think that's going to happen this year. I wouldn't be surprised if it happens, but if I had to put money on it, I'm saying that we're not there this year, which is kind of disappointing if you were thinking about it from the start of the season perspective because we had all the talent in the world. It finally came together. All this waiting for everything to come together had finally happened. Obviously, it took Haywood a while to really get to where he needed to be, and I think he's kind of getting there. But I still don't think we can really rely on him being the guy that we saw in that Heat game or in a couple of games earlier on in the year over the span of an entire seven-game series. Yeah, I'm, I'm back and forth, and I've felt this way the entire season. And it's tough because it was, it was one of those things in the regular season, I think, where no matter how well they played at spurts, they went, went back to how poorly they played in the chemistry issues and the lack of consistent play. So it's hard to really take anything from a good spurt, especially at the end of the year. On the other hand, I, I feel like fans have waited all season for this team to come together. And 
I do feel like Gordon Hayward is playing better, and I'm not that optimistic. And I hear what you're saying, and I, I if I had to bet my money on it, I do think they would probably lose to the Bucks, and I think they deserve to lose to the Bucks. I think they're going to get by the Pacers, but they don't. This team doesn't deserve to get past the second round based on how they played all year. And then on the other hand, <laughs> there's the optimism in me and the thought of going into the season where we thought this team could be. And if Gordon Hayward can play more consistent like he has down the stretch, and he's playing at the end of games, and, and Brad Stevens is playing a, a tighter tighter shift of guys where they're not playing as many minutes, and the energy is good in the beginning, and that gives them some momentum. I don't know. There, there's still a scenario this team could get to the finals. How far could this season go for, it, for you to consider it a success? I think if we end up making the Eastern Conference Finals, that to me would be a success in and of itself, and I do see it happening. I think if it all clicks, if the players really buy in, maybe it's just been a lack of focus, the reason why we haven't been able to get over a lot of you know, the mediocre teams that we've lost to, like losing to Orlando on the weekend, heading into the playoffs, isn't a good look. But we've obviously been able to stick it to a lot of the better teams. We've had a great record against the 76ers. We've played well against the Warriors. We have the capability to play against these bigger teams if we focus. And I think that's what it comes down to. But I've got a starting five for you. Yes. That uh, that I want to pitch to you to see starting five that we should go with. You ready? Love it. Semi Ojale, Gershon Yebusele, <laughs> Robert Williams the third, Terry Rozier, and Jalen Brown. What do you think? <laughs> Sounds like a first round exit to me. <laughs> well, the way that they played last night against the Wizards, <laughs> man. They they had did you see what Terry Rozier said after the game? He said that was the most fun he's had playing a game this year. He had 24 minutes, put up 15 shots. They they just had a lot of fun. They played with freedom. Obviously, it's against the Wizards team that's been trash all year, and it was a dead rubber game. But you just see from that how much talent this team does have. How deep we are. We have hardly played, and we spoke about this last time on the podcast. We hardly played semi this year, but he's a guy who's shown that he can play a big-time role in the playoffs. He did so last year. And when he gets minutes, got 38 minutes last night, put up 17 points. He can really get the job done defensively. He's, he's a fantastic player. Yabusele, I wouldn't really put up there. Williams, I wouldn't put up there yet. But And Rozier, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen. You get the dancing bear and the time lord on the court together. It's gonna be an, it's gonna be electric. However, however well they play or not. So I always love to see those guys get some time. But Chris, I'm, I'm gonna let you go. But thanks so much for joining the podcast, and you know, good luck to the Celtics. No worries. Go C's, man. We'll talk soon. All right. Well, make sure to follow Christopher Tyler on Twitter at Christos Tyler. And if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to check out my other episodes on the Wicked Local North of Boston website or on my social media accounts. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Robbie McKittrick for the latest podcast information. Thanks so much for listening.